Excuse me, sir. I'm looking for a job. I'm a hard worker. I set high goals. My motto is, if you want to win the lottery, you have to make the money to buy a ticket. So what do you say? I could start tomorrow, or even why not tonight? No. I'm not hiring. We're first! Go around! Get a shot inside the car! Hey, back away. I got it. I'm back. I'm back. Will this be on television? Morning news. If it bleeds, it leads. Are you currently hiring? I'm starting a TV news business. You, get back! I film breaking stories. Maybe you saw my item this morning, you were fatal carjacking. No, I mean, I don't have a TV. Do you have a cell phone? Yeah. Does that have GPS? Yeah. Congratulations, you're hired. Okay. We're taking the next right. Good, stupid! Repeat the police. I will never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Excuse me. I have something you'll be very excited about. You have a good eye. I want you to contact me when you have something. Something like this. Think of our newscast as a screaming woman running down the street with her throat cut. You will be seeing me again. Any unit, residential 211. A home invasion. Call the cops. And we will at the right time. But I don't know what to do. We're gonna find the person that drove that car. Start filming. I'm Detective Fonieri. I think you withheld information. That would be a very unprofessional thing for me to do. It would be murder. I want what you promised me. I want something people can't turn away from. 911, what's your emergency? I think Lou is inspiring all of us to reach a little higher. <laughs> Welcome to Box Office Bylines, a podcast about movies, about journalism, the papers, the posts, the proxies. Hudsucker, that is. <laughs> I am Jacob Boone, editor, uh, journalist in Yellowknife Northwest Territories. And I am joined by, as always... It's me, Tara Thorne in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Jacob, I really dug on the alliteration in that intro. Oh, thank you. I was working on that one for a little bit. That's number four out of several possible catchphrases we have to start our episode. Audio people would advise us not to say so many P words in a, in a row. Oh, yeah. All right. P is Should propulsive. I do a different one? No, I think, you're, uh, I think you're living on the edge. I like that. Oh, okay. All right. And I want to say uh, thanks for taking a couple weeks off so I could make a record, which is one of the many things that I do, including this show uh, that produces zero income. But <laughs> life is about passion, right? This is a show. This is a podcast about movies. But you also have a band about dance movies. Correct. Because that's the name of the band. And often, they do our theme music. Often misnamed Dance Party, which if you know me at all, is very wrong. <laughs> Dance Party is like the EDM offshoot. <laughs> <laughs> Sad music with some drops. Um, yeah, that's very exciting. When when does that come out? That's a great I question. I have no idea how a record 
how long yeah. it takes to make a record. Well, you know, it's an EP, so it's it's six songs instead of, you know, like 10 or whatever. And we're not doing vinyl. I've been, I have so many vinyl records in my closet, and I don't have a lot of space. So I cannot mm. add more boxes to the pile. So this will be a digital release. So it could be faster than a normal record. Um, but I just don't know yet. So I guess you'll have to keep tuning into the show to see if the new dance movie record came out yet. You were talking a second ago about the many passions you have in your life that, that don't pay you, but you mm-hmm. still are involved in them. You pursue these creative efforts. Um, you hustle really to, to you know, get, <laughs> get your project, get your name out there and build yeah. a portfolio and maybe get recognized and build up a video news service. Just like in this week's movie, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Yeah, I love this movie. Yeah. Written and directed by Dan Gilroy. Yes, Dan Gilroy, um, brother of Tony Gilroy. And I uh, I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was like, what's Renee Russo doing in this? Because I really like her, but you just you just haven't seen her in a while. That yeah. is Dan Gilroy's wife. So yeah, you can take that out of your trivia notes. I already know. I wrote down uh, husband of Renee Russo. Because I think it's important to frame it that way, Tara. <laughs> yeah, She's I not agree. his wife. Uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, uh, Riz Ahmed, and Bill Paxton. Two of the main four cast members of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Did you see the latest Spider-Man with Jake the Gyllenhaal? Spider-Verse? Oh, Homecoming or whatever? No. Oh, I guess Spider-Verse might have been the latest, but like the live action one. No. No, I did not. He's, spoilers, he's the villain in that. Who is? And, but it, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. oh it starts right, off, right. he's like going to be like Spider-Man's big brother, superhero mentor, but he's a villain. But it's not much of a twist because he was all, always a villain in the comics. Anyway, he is in that movie basically this character. <laughs> Interesting, because this this character Lou Blue must have been so fun to play. Oh my God! Yeah, he he does an amazing. I like Jake Gyllenhaal a lot. Me too. Big but fan. he he does a great job with this, and that's so much so that I guess they're like do it, but in a green screen <laughs> suit with like lasers flying around you. And we'll pay you ten webbing. times more for yeah. a third of the work. <laughs> uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Louis Bloom here, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, a con man desperate for work who muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, blurring the lines between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. You know, we talk about ethics on this show a lot. Oh, boy. <laughs> the, the ethics are not a concern of, of Lewis's in this movie. Yeah, there's no there's no subtle sort of conversation about when should they have informed the source. He just straight up murders people. Yeah. I mean, he lets them die, I guess. A hapless man occasionally appears in the control room to be like, we can't do this. And they're like, oh, well. <laughs> Get out of here. Ratings. It kind of, they're, they're I, I don't know. It, it, every TV news scene now reminds me of broadcast news. Mm-hmm. And Holly Hunter being in William Hurt's head. Yeah. And this sort of has a similar... Similar vibe. It also is similar to Network a little bit, which we've talked about in terms of like crossing over the ethics for ratings. Though I would say it's better than Network. Wow. You would say Nightcrawler is better than Network? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, the tweets are going to light up. <laughs> <laughs> I also think this is a very 
um, sort of alternative choice for this show in terms of journalism because journalism isn't really the point of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it does really take place in this sort of gross underbelly of it. I mean, he's still using a camcorder, and we were well into digital technology at this point. Um, but yeah, the he this isn't really about um, about journalism. It's about trying to make it. Um, and do you love? Have you been to Los Angeles? Um, no, I've been to California, not LA. Mm-hmm. I quite love Los Angeles, which is. Uh, weird for me because I hate the sun and I don't drive. Um, so you would think that's not a great place for me, but it's so, I love Hollywood history and I love um, movies about that, which is, you know, one of the re- one of the reasons I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and everyone yelled at me and said, how you knew you wouldn't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I also just rewatched Entourage. Sure, um, sure. So, you know, movies, stuff about L.A., I like it. And this this paints L.A. in a very different way than we're, than we're used to seeing. And it's the darkness. It's very quiet. It's mm-hmm. neon lights. It's empty streets. Um, it's just it's about the seamy sort of underbelly. And um, and, and I really like that. It visually looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, see, uh, Robert Ellswit is the cinematographer and seeing how he shoots LA at night, um, reminded me a little bit of a collateral, also a LA at night mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. shot on digital. Um, yeah, it's, it's also not easy to shoot things at night and make them look natural. Like yeah. you'll see someone in a desert or something at night, and you can see the movie light from a million miles away because they have to light them up somehow. But because he's got he's got neon and he's got headlights and he's got you know street lights and he like there's just lots of sort of elements that uh, that that he's able to pull in. And because Jake Gyllenhaal's so skinny that mm-hmm. his his cheekbones and his big eyes like they really pop out, and so like the shadows and the light are hitting him in the in these ways that make him really sinister and really, you know, add more layers to, to, you know, the sociopathy, psychopathy. I don't know, whatever he is. It's not well, he's not well. He based the characters like personality and movements around a coyote. Oh, and he lost like, I don't know, somewhere in the trivia, he lost like 20 pounds or something during filming mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he would run and bike to work. And, and the idea being that becomes more gaunt as it goes along. Let's talk about Rene Russo because they sort of set up this relationship between her and and him and and she's like the boss and she doesn't care and then he ends up sort of blackmailing her into uh because he gets great tape. Like yeah. you know they're they're on she runs sort of a podunk station and he gets great tape and she's really into that and so he basically blackmails her into becoming uh, his girlfriend also which is sort of a creepy element we never actually see he only references yeah it. they he takes her out to dinner at it was it's a very american psycho style mm-hmm. like there's a wonderful new authentic mexican restaurant and let's go and, and he brings her there and he lays out all the professional reasons they should be a couple and for her, it's that she'll get access to his tapes and that'll help because she's going to get fired. Basically, she's at the end of her contract and they have low ratings. Um, and then there's all these other conditions like that. He gets referred to as video production news or that might come later. 
Oh man, yeah. I think it comes after like his big his big murder tape or whatever. He's oh, like, right, Here's how, I want them to say my go. name, and it's this very long string of like Simpsons esque. It's like video production name. news, a news gathering service. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's an odd relationship they have. Um, because he does blackmail her, and yet it's to some degree she doesn't seem to ever like lose power. I don't know. She like she's she's not a victim. It, does that make sense? Because she's yeah, the one so. pushing this through to get on the air to save her job, even when other people are like, like she's as enraptured by these images, maybe as a stand-in for the viewer who's gonna like eat up the ratings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's definitely very. She doesn't really worry. It's never her that's like, oh, we can't. We can't show this murder victim. It's always someone else in the room. And she's like, and she's all right, pixelate like, it. she's shocked by the blood. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. just, she's like, oh, great. We got that. And tell, telling him at the beginning, like, we don't need basically black people shot dead. We need, like, white women attacked in, like, a good neighborhood. That's, That's an gets... interesting thread I didn't pick up on um, in 2014, probably because I wasn't as aware of issues as I am now as a white idiot. Um, but, but yeah, basically he's like, well, we're not going to cover a shooting in Compton, obviously. What, that's right. what he says to Rick when he picks him up later. But yeah, when th- this murder that he witnesses and he, it is, it's like, it's rich white people in a mansion. And then it turns out they were drug dealers. Yeah. That's why they were shot. And they leave that out of the, the footage and, and the newscast because that's not the story they're selling tonight. Mm-hmm. They might mm-hmm. do it later on. Whole, not a lot of ethics going around. <laughs> no, there's really not. And she's like, no, the story is um, urban decay seeping into the suburbs. This is right. her line, the whole movie. She's like, no, or, or like things that are not connected. She's like, oh, we'll connect it to that other thing and then we'll call it a trend. Um, yeah. So in, in, in you know, as I'm sitting here, as we're talking about Renee Russo and her being Dan, sorry, uh, Dan Gilroy being her husband, um, he, she, the role isn't great. Like it's not well written and well rounded. Like for for a part to give your wife, um, mm-hmm. it's just sort of like she's the man, so to speak. And but because she's a woman, there can be a sexual element. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're just sort of like she's just been in it for so long. Her ethics are, are gone. Which you know what we have seen that happen, and maybe has happened to some of us. You and I have had lots of chats on this show about are we supposed to be for this person? Are we supposed to be against them? Is this a gray area? Would you have run the story? Like all that kind of things. Uh-huh. It's just not th- that's not that's not here. There's no ambiguity. It's like this is a bad person doing bad things and it's getting worse. And, you know, we, we won't spoil the ending, but the absolute worst happens at the end. So it's like, um, you know, what do you think about just sort of sitting back and watching an antihero? It, you know, I mean, we see lots of antiheroes all over TV and all over movies, but generally not in in our fair journalism movies. <laughs> we don't. I w- and you know, I think um, a lot of the films and TV shows that feature antiheroes kind of do a, a bad job, or even sometimes when they do a good job. Um, like Tony Soprano, which kind of kicked off a whole wave of like TV anti-hero guys. Like, I don't think the people who made David Chase and the Sopranos writers viewed him as a good person. But through the nature of the medium 
and like James Gandolfini's charisma or whatever, mm-hmm. I think audiences latch on to it. Um, so I think it's hard to see a genuine sort of anti-hero in that you never, I don't feel I was ever rooting for Lou Bloom in this, not even to like sort of win out against Bill Paxton as the like competitor or any of that aspect. Like we, cause we meet him and he like beats up a security guard to steal some fence. Yeah. Which I guess they left in purposely to make sure that like, we know he's not going through an arc here. (laughs) Yeah. Where his morals are crumbling. It's like, no, he starts off this way. He ends this way. And I think, so it, it is interesting how it succeeds as a very watchable movie. That you kind of, you're not disgusted or despised. You don't want to turn the movie off. Which there are movies about like villains where you're like, well, I don't want to watch this. Well, Gyllenhaal's very charming. That's the thing. Like he gets, he gets these monologues that are sort of these endless <laughs> lists and they're very, um, very persuasive and very, um, yeah, char- charismatic is the word I would use. Like it's just, he's he's like, I've been told I am persistent. It's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> And you know that's really his whole thing. But you're right. Like when he when he's like selling off the fence or whatever. Like this. Like the news thing is just one in many th- things. Yeah. Like it's just he also tries a to get a job at like the pawn shop. And yeah. Like he's just but trying he, to make it in America for sure. And like not even like make it in America. Just like he's like I'm gonna find the thing that I'm good at and I'll mm-hmm. find it sometime. And th- and then of course you know he does find that he that he is good at, at the news gathering. Well. But to the uh, point where he has to to um, to invent it, and that's that's really where the movie is. That's the climax of the movie. Is basically, it's like he has information on a crime that he withholds from the police so he can film it happening. Uh, Gilroy apparently like purposefully left out any sort of backstory, any explanation for why this guy's like this. It didn't matter. He just wanted to have him sort of enter the universe fully formed and then see how his presence corrupts the rest of things. Yeah, I'm I'm into that approach. You know, it's like uh, a little film you and I have discussed called Joker um, is is oh. like, oh, society made him this way, man. Mm-hmm. Here's how he's like this. It's like, it actually doesn't matter at all mm-hmm. uh, in a movie situation. So it's like... No, yeah. It's a breath of fresh air to not have to find out this dude's backstory. Yeah, basically, he's like, I grew up here. I grew up in California. The end. Who cares? Like, it does. Like, did his father beat him and put him in a closet? Did he have parents and siblings? Doesn't matter. Much like what is he doing in front Heath of us? Ledger as the Joker. <laughs> we don't need to know his backstory. A better Joker portrayal. Yes. Um, well, who was your favorite Joker? My favorite Joker, <laughs> probably Nicholson. Okay. He really he set the bar, don't you think? Uh, Cesar Romero, he probably set the bar back in the He set 60s. the actual bar, but like bar, bar of quality. Oh, and then like Nicholson like just cleared it. Like Caesar set yeah. it up. Nicholson jumped over it. Didn't he, wasn't there some like crazy statistic? Now I might be ma- mashing this up with his good friend Marlon Brando, but isn't there some crazy statistic where it's like Nicholson got four, $4 million to play the Joker and he was on set for like a handful of days? I think it was something ridiculous. Like yeah. That. Can I tell you a Batman story that has nothing to do with Nightcrawler? Well, I would love it. Well, Batman is himself a nightcrawler if you think about it. <laughs> there you go. Okay, fair enough. Um, there was an in some like press junket interview George Clooney had to do for Batman and Robin, and 
I didn't watch the actual interview. I think I was just flipping through channels and entertainment tonight. Just like coming up next, George Clooney on previous Batman, and it's <laughs> I just remember him saying, you know, Michael Keaton, but he just said first names. Michael really invented the role. Val came in and saved the role. Oh. And for some reason, that has stuck in my head for like 20 years. And it sounds <laughs> The idea wrong that Val Kilmer, because I don't know what it means, but I guess Val Kilmer came in in Batman Forever and saved the role of right, Batman. Right, because someone so had that... to be, some idiot had to start it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and just like the like poetic justifications you do when you have to be in one of these stupid big budget movies <laughs> and describe it all day. Batman and Robin is like John Mulaney playing Batman. You know what I mean? Like, it it wasn't right. Yeah. Anyway, should we take a little break and then come back with some trivia, perhaps? Sure. Let's do that. All right. I'm inviting you, Rick, to be a part of the team that pounces on this opportunity. You've been asking a lot about your performance review? Yeah. Well, for starters... I've been seeing a great improvement in your overall focus and order following. Given complex problems, you're developing a real ability to find clear and simple solutions. I'm also aware of your increased enthusiasm. It's great to see your eyes light up when you're working on a new idea. I hope you'll be inspiring us with your innovative thinking for years to come. Thank you, man. I'm trying, you know? Which is why I'm promoting you to executive vice president. Of video news. What am I now? You're an assistant. That's... Does it come with a raise? Absolutely. How much? Pick a number. You pick a number. Hundred, hundred, seven, seventy, seventy-five dollars a night. Agreed. Wait. Uh, what about what about more? You know? Not now. We close the deal. I could have gotten more, couldn't I? Absolutely. You are back, listening to Box Office Bylines with. Tara Thorne and Jacob Boone, we're watching, we watched Nightcrawler from 2014, a film about journalism, about freelance journalism, a little bit, freelance desperation, there's some unpaid internships in here. Yeah, there's some shooting, there's some like, (laughs) (laughs) there's some car crashes. There's two different kinds of shooting, both camera and gun. Yeah. One of my favorites when he starts off with this tiny little camera he gets from the pawn shop, and (laughs) he's like at a... Somebody got shot, and the cops are just standing there doing the reports. And he's like, Lewis Bloom, Bloom or whatever, what's going on here? And the cops are like, you can't film this. And he says, I'm very sure I'm allowed to film this. And they're like, <laughs> film what? He's like, I don't know. What's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> he does have, like, there is an instinct with the certain types of reporting, yeah. <laughs> as you know, Jacob. I don't have it, but you do. You would have been right up there with your camera, too. I, mm, no. I'm not, well, I mean, I'm you're not ethical. actually that good with that. 
No, it's not even that. I I am bad. Sometimes I have to strongly convince myself to like go that extra distance to go knock on a door or talk to somebody. Right. Not that right, I do right, that right, a lot right. now, but um, and and you know, depending on the situation, that's never easy for any journalist. But I think there's some people that are very good at just talking to a stranger and asking them what's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That wasn't always me. <laughs> I have a hard enough time talking to people I know. Um, yeah, I do think, though, it is a very good movie for that for a number of reasons, but also in the way it shows, you know, this isn't so much a film about journalism as it is like capitalism. And I guess kind of the media age we're in of like TMZ and of wanting violent videos to be everywhere and how that pays and then how that trickles down as you know paying money to these this freelance goon ghoul squad that's going around filming murders and how that ends up impacting a city and a culture um yeah because i mean i guess gilroy said like one of the things that inspired him was his local tv news station that he always loved and watched growing up they had a helicopter above Robin Williams' house after his death. Oh, my goodness. And it's like, why? Yeah. What do you need that helicopter footage of? <laughs> like his what? wife coming out and crying? Like, okay. But you need something to be on the air, and you need something yeah. dramatic so you can be the, maybe the ratings hit, but also so that your YouTube or social media blows up. And, yeah, it's it's gross stuff out there. I don't know. What do you what do you feel about this whole paparazzi, TMZ violence, cable news, everything? <laughs> Bill Paxton says right off the top, this is a flaming asshole of a job. <laughs> like none of the other guys are into it. They're just like, this is what we do. I'm sure they would much. T- did TMZ exist in 2014? Yes. Okay. Um, but I'm sh- I'm sh- much sure they'd rather be at LAX, like asking Kanye West his political opinions or whatever when mm-hmm. he gets off a plane. Um, uh, I, I, a thing that is interesting to me and I think is smart, like I think putting technology in movies, even cell phones is, is kind of a mistake because that like it, it's going to age them at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, like just think about how you feel now when you see a flip phone or like a Nokia or something, you're like, <laughs> like you laugh at it. Um, so the iPhone was reasonably good in 2014, um, but not, like it is now, um, or like a Samsung Galaxy, or like at a, a foam with a good camera, like that we're seeing all this footage that we're seeing from the streets now, from like out in the world. Um, that stuff doesn't factor in. Like that's what he would have now. So I thought it was an interesting choice to sort of give him that pawn shop camcorder, which you could go to a Value Village right now and see one of those. Yeah. Um, well, I thought can. that was They're an interesting closed. technological move that we're literally talking about cassette tapes still. Which, like, even in 2014 feels like an outdated thing. And then he, like, climbs up the ladder until he's got his fancy laptop and an air card. Yeah. And just transfer things over the internet. And his red, what, Dodge charger. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When they get the car, he buys this car that's, like, so ostentatious. And they're trying (laughs) to track these drug guys in the car. By the way, Riz Ahmed, who is someone, like, I became aware of him... Uh, in Girls and Beyond, and I had forgotten that that's who it was. And he's he's like got such a weird energy and a weird voice. He's actually British, I believe. Um, he is, yeah. But he's got this like chill stoner voice. So he's like he's just this like weird energy with Jake Gyllenhaal's already weird energy. And I really like them together. 
they it was great yeah they do have a good chemistry up until some stuff happens he's like this is an internship and he's like uh oh i'm gonna i'm gonna need some money or the wonderful scene where like they get to the crime scene too late and because and and gyllenhaal's like you shouldn't have told me to go this way and the guy's like well you were yelling at or he gives him an excuse and gyllenhaal's like i don't need excuses give me a problem and we can solve it together and he's like well you yelled at me and it made me nervous and he's like okay i won't yeah and then the next scene he's like (laughs) calmly giving him directions while like still seething with anger underneath yeah. It's incredible. It's well done. It's very funny. And then later on, he's like, you need to show initiative. A uh, good employee mm-hmm. makes themselves indispensable to the company. <laughs> or asking, like, we're going to do a lot more work. And he's like, can I get a raise? And he's like, quote, give me a number. And he's like, 100 a night. Okay. And then he won't let him renegotiate. Because <laughs> yeah. they've agreed on a contract. Yeah. He's that's like, I could have got more, right? Yes. And that's pretty much why he kills him, too, is that... Like, <laughs> He thinks yeah. this guy's going to be a annoying, basically. Yeah. yeah, and try to extort him for money. Um, I did, So I said like that this, I did like this better than Network. And one of the reasons is our friend Patty Chayefsky. <laughs> there is a certain, certain like sneering at the rating stuff. They, I mean, Network's a satire. And here, I don't know. It's like the numbers matter so much to Rene Russo's character and that drives Gyllenhaal to to go do what he does and they're they only matter so much because people want to see this stuff and so it's it's I don't know it's scarier because we know that I guess this is also happening right now and still happening I don't know where I feel like network you can you can laugh off as Oh yeah, that's what the dumbs and the, and the rubes are doing mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. our world. Where this is like, no, we're in this world, and it's gonna keep happening. Every time you log onto Facebook and see some horrible racist page that's trying to sell T-shirts, it's all the same kind of stuff. I also think, mm-hmm. like, for the general public, they would view Jake Gyllenhaal's character in this as more accurate to what a journalist is than like you know, Mark Ruffalo and Spotlight or whatever. A hundred percent. Like when they go, ah, the mainstream media, ah, the vultures, that's who they mean. They just want clicks. Yeah. So they're going to write about any tragedy they can and exploit Mm -hmm. people. Like a hundred percent, this is what they're thinking of and seeing. Yeah. Um, And we can thank TMZ for that for sure. Yeah. (laughs) So it maybe would have been nice not to just get that one dude from Mad Men being the only guy (laughs) being like, we can't air this. (laughs) Not, I mean, whatever. Then it would have been some moral lesson, and it's more fun as a as a not moral lesson because as as at the end he he's got a little army he's assembling. Yeah, he's hired three interns. Hired. Mm -hmm. He's got three unpaid interns, and he's like many. You know, these positions have opened up in the past to full time employment. (laughs) Oh my goodness! I know. (laughs) It's a it's quite a character. It really is. It is a tour de force. As they would say. Yes. You want some trivia? I always do. We got tons. Uh, during the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal screams at himself in the mirror, he got so into the scene uh, that he broke his, or cut open his hand. Uh, and he was driven to the hospital after a 19-hour day of working. He got 46 stitches in a four-hour long operation and returned to the set six hours after being discharged. Now, I wonder, 
Mm-hmm. I would like to know when in filming that happened because you think he would have bandages or he would have something to that you would see. Well, there's in the scene where he uh, is negotiating with the scrapyard owner. Owner, he has mm. his hand behind his back, and apparently that's. Oh funny. yeah, 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 and that's very in the dark. Also, um, that scene's amazing. You could not make the glass break the way it broke. Mm-hmm. Like he smashes the mirror, and this one like horizontal chunk falls down and it's still got his face in it it's incredible i mean maybe maybe i'm not trying to disparage hollywood stunt glass people but i feel mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be hard to break a mirror that way uh gyllenhaal's line i promise that one day everything's going to be better for you is said both in this movie and his breakthrough role donnie darko oh i'm not a donnie darko person i don't understand do you <laughs> like i've seen uh, it <laughs> i watched it and I, I think like a lot of people, I thought it was so impressive the first time I watched it <laughs> and so incredible. And then I remember getting the DVD and watching the director's commentary and just being like, oh, he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like all this stuff I thought was deep is not at all. Yeah. So then I was on, off the Donnie Dark. But I mean, in terms of introducing us all to Jake Gyllenhaal and mm-hmm. uh, who else is in that? Jenna. Um, uh, what's her face? Damn. Uh, who? All right. I'll, I'm going to look that up right now. Um, originally, he was going to have a dog, not a houseplant. Jake did Hall in this movie, but the dog was uncooperative. Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone is the girlfriend. In the oh, movie. Jenna Malone's awesome. Yeah. Um, giving pets to people like this is not my favorite because you're like, what are they going to do to the dog? Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I don't like it. What is he going to do to a houseplant? Who cares? It's a houseplant. And he, he carefully waters it <laughs> and even references it. I was watering my plant. Singular. <laughs> the one. Uh, Riz Ahmed, who we talked about, uh, was unfamiliar with Bed Bath & Beyond as a brand. Mm-hmm. And so he pronounced it oddly at the uh, one scene where he has to say it. And someone corrected him. And every take he did after that, he said it the right way, but none of those takes were as good. So they used the one where he goes Bed Bath. Or he, he says like Bed Bath and beyond like adidas mm-hmm. like brit brit speak that's funny i like that the reichbrook reichbrook brothers howard austin sure. and mark who basically have a news gathering service like video production news uh they took Hall and dan gilroy out on a news gathering ride along to do research for the film they also worked as project consultants and they licensed their footage to use uh, on all the like TV monitors as background stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the brothers, in an interview, they claim they have a very good relationship with law enforcement and they'll always provide assistance whenever they arrive on a scene before, even if they arrive before emergency services arrive. Uh, their first aid Yeah, trained, I mean, the, the movie's not a great argument for these types of jobs. No. Um, they also said they didn't take Gilroy and Gyllenhaal anywhere unsafe. Uh, which was funny because in a separate interview, Gilroy said that the first thing he said was, do you want a bulletproof vest? <laughs> because wow. we get shot at a lot. And then they were racing 100 miles an hour to a car accident where like three young women had been ejected from the car. And it was this horrible, bloody violence scene. And uh, apparently <laughs> not unsafe or uh, anything unprofessional for the people who do that every night. <laughs> They're like, that's that's Monday. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, I would like to see a documentary talking to all the people who have ever taken actors on their jobs as research. Mm. 
That's a have good idea. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Has an actor ever studied uh, no. you or no? Okay. <laughs> no. That would be okay. a mistake. <laughs> I would say no to that. I don't even like inter- I didn't even like interns. <laughs> you like them as people. Yeah. I didn't yeah. like having to explain. For any interns anything. listening to this. Yeah. I don't work at Seattle Grace Hospital. Like I sit at a computer, it's not interesting. Is that um That's the teaching Grey's hospital Anatomy? at Grey's Anatomy? Yes. Okay. I think it's Seattle Grace. Anyway. Yeah, that's next. Right. Uh Dan Gilroy, actually, you might not know this. He spent three years as a junior reporter at Weekly Variety. Like Variety Magazine? No, I think it's like a just a weekly variety newspaper. <laughs> you don't know what it is. <laughs> it's a video production. It's a news gathering service. <laughs> but their father was a, a playwright, I believe. Yes. And so Tony was studying. Uh, actually, Tony was a bartender and Dan was a junior reporter. Uh, and they would meet up like after work and come up with script ideas why they like studied how to make it in movies hmm. yeah did you know tara that lewis bloom in this movie was originally based on famous new york photographer ouija i thought you're gonna say bill cunningham no i did <laughs> not know that do you know of ouija i don't know ouija i didn't either did he hang out with like madonna and basquiat and stuff <laughs> Uh, a little before their time, 1940s. <laughs> oh, okay. Arthur Felig was his actual name, born in 1899, uh, known by his pseudonym, Ouija, which apparently was either because he was at one time a squeegee kid and the other reporters mocked him, or because he would show up to crime scenes so early um, that they thought he was like a Ouija board guy. <laughs> Okay, I like that. And I, like uh, I guess he was one of the first people to just sort of sit around with the police scanner, wait to hear what was happening, go shoot it. Um, wow. Yeah, photographer, photojournalist, stark black and white street photography of New York City, dead bodies, the aftermath of mob shootings, um, basically defined the look of post-prohibition, pre-war, five boroughs, New York. Wow. And he published a photo book, Naked City. Which is actually where we get that phrase. He invented that phrase, which would go on to be a movie and a couple of wow. movies. Wow, good for Ouija. Yeah, and apparently would um, sometimes stage his photographs yeah. and crime scenes to be a little better. So there you go. Um, I would watch a documentary about him, too. Well, Gilroy wrote a film treatment that he said was very Chinatown-like, but then uh, The Public Eye in 1992 was released which was loosely based on Ouija's life. So he shelved the idea until, I guess, he sort of uh, was inspired to do this Nightcrawler thing about, you know, based on the rise of, like, video freelance news. Um, Squeegee Kid's no longer a thing. Have you noticed that? <laughs> no. I don't drive. <laughs> I don't either, but... Not anywhere? I stand at stoplights a lot. Okay. Um... <laughs> Uh, also in Nightcrawler, journalist Kent Anchors, journalist Kent Shockneck, Pat Harvey, Sharon Tay, Rick Garcia, and Bill Seward appear as themselves. So these are all like L.A. journalists. Yeah, they did seem real. And I like Shockneck. I looked up. He's been in, like, he's a longtime anchor, reporter, journalist in L.A. who's covered lots of stuff. He's a serious guy who's done a lot of stuff. He's also appeared in like a hundred films and TV shows. 
uh, NCIS, The Amazing Spider-Man, Fast Five. Yeah, it's... I have to imagine that if you're in L.A., it's a little bit of a side hustle. Yeah. Because they need someone to stand in front of a green screen and be like, the prisoners escaped the van. Yeah. <laughs> and you get 100 bucks and craft And he services. knows how to read a script. Yeah. So, yeah, that's his, uh, I think he's retired now, but he still appears in movies now and then. <laughs> to promote Nightcrawler, Open Road Films utilized viral marketing strategies. Ooh. Including a fictional video resume on Craigslist and fake social media profiles for Lou. Including a LinkedIn. Because he'd be on LinkedIn. Yeah. He had a very sort of influencer vibe. Definitely now. <laughs> In that he's very composed and put together and yet some sort of bloodthirsty cannibal <laughs> underneath. There's like there's like an endless there's a bottomless ambition that even he doesn't understand. Yes, the very predatory sort of <laughs> void in his soul. Huh. Uh shot for eight point five million dollars. That was the budget. You know, if they didn't have that big uh, climax with the car crashes and stuff, it probably would have been cheaper. I bet that's pretty much um is that where it all hang on. They they So what they shot from October 6th until 27 days. So they shot over a course of one month, 80 different locations. That would um, do and it. they had to shoot only during night. So like sometimes they'd go to different, like four or five different locations a night. Um, they would like start moving <laughs> like before the scene had finished so that they could like just always be in motion, much like Jake Gyllenhaal's character in the film. And uh, he said, Gilroy also said they called him a huge amount of favors from a number of film craftsmen because they shot in October, these people wanted to stay home until Christmas. So like they were able to basically, you know, get a paycheck for staying around the city so they wouldn't have to travel to some far off, far off location. They could be around their families for the holidays, which I think is very smart scheduling. Yeah. I'm taking notes, you know, I'm making a micro budget <laughs> that is not quite $8.5 million, but I've heard know. something about it's that. close. Yes. It's close. Filmmaker now. <laughs> yes. Your, your movie's not about journalism, though. No, it's about vigilantism. Is there a, is there a journalist character? <laughs> There's I a can, like, The vigilantes are still on the loose, police say. <laughs> There's one radio news report. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to see it, nevertheless. We can talk about that another time. This show, this show is not is going to be on as long as the corona's on, so <laughs> a couple more years at least. Yeah. Um, we got some new followers, which has been fun this week. Oh, excellent! Last couple of weeks, and we might I have some why. on as guests. <laughs> um, that's it for right now. Well, Jacob, I gotta say, um, a couple weeks off, I did miss you, but it was nice mm-hmm. to come back to a good one mm-hmm. and you know i sort of i it, i had already seen it so i knew it was good but it's sort of like as you know i slap on the journalism eyes and some things have been ruined for me um so uh this one uh was even more enjoyable the second time and i sort of remembered the end and then i was like oh yeah this is what happens um so a good a good pick a uh, late night a late night yeah. movie for these dying days of summer uh, I was annoyed it showed back up on Netflix like two days after I bought a rental. No. Well, at least we can promote it to people. They can go yeah, watch it true, now. True, true. <laughs> um, can I just say, Tara? Yes. You are one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite people. 
definitely one of my favorite podcast hosts, co-hosts. And uh, I'm excited to be doing more episodes with you. Excited to see Thank your movie you. when it comes out. Excited <laughs> to buy your album and see your name in print, wherever that box office byline is. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jacob. And likewise, minus the album, because I don't think you do that. Maybe I'll put one out someday. Until then, though, um, you can follow us on Twitter if you'd like. We're at Box Bylines. I am at RWJ Boone. Tara's taking a little break. Nowhere at this time, but I'll be back. You'll be back. Uh, Anything else to plug? We plug a lot of stuff you're involved in. (laughs) (laughs) We've like overdone me. How about you? Your Your new issue's out. It is. We're just finishing the next issue as well. If you'd like, go to uphere.ca. Check out our new website that I put a lot of pandemic quarantine hours. There you go. Learn, Jacob's doing great work about Yeah, the learn North. about the North, Northern Canada. Until next time, stay between the lines and keep shipping the news. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Jacob. Have a great week. Bye, Tara.